Well, there's a lot of fear surrounding the devil and his ploys. What's fact and what's fiction? Well, today on Focal Point, a stimulating conversation with Pastor Mike Fabares about what this ancient foe can and cannot do. Welcome to Focal Point. I'm your host, Dave Drury, and it's time for our weekly Q&A session we call Ask Pastor Mike. We're sitting down with Pastor Mike Fabares to ask some tough questions about life and faith and to get some clear answers. Today, we're discussing an unusual topic that has to do with supernatural power. Curious? Well, let's step into the pastor's study along with the executive director of Focal Point, Jay Wharton, for a glimpse into the dark side. Jay? Thank you, Dave. I do have Pastor Mike here. And Pastor Mike, we have a question today on Satan and demons. And a listener asks, can Satan read my thoughts? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And I think before I directly answer it, we need to think about who we are as people. We are, as I like to say, hardware and software. We are biological and physical, and then we are spiritual or non-physical, something that is intangible. So we are software that functions through hardware, and my thoughts are not the electrical impulses of my brain. That's just the function of the hard drive, if you will. It's what I'm purposing and, and what I volitionally decide and what I, in my imagination, choose to entertain. That's who I am. I am a spirit being who is encased and indwelling a, a physical unit. And so if you you ask about my thoughts, I mean, my thoughts are ultimately the things that are immaterial. And that's the realm of the spirit. And, and so demons are spirit beings. They're fallen angels. Satan is just uh, the chief of these fallen spirit beings. So the interaction of spirit beings, I'm going to say, are not physical realities. And this is not a very well thought through answer for most people, as I find. The standard answer I hear from most pastors when they have this question, can demons read a person's thoughts? They say, well, no. And often they quickly add, well, because they're not on omniscient, meaning they don't know all things. Well, of course they don't know all things, and that's really not the question. Do they know everything? Uh, they don't know everything. They're not omnipresent, and they're not omniscient. They don't know everything, and they're not everywhere. But the question is, do they perceive my thoughts? And I would say, well, of of course they can. That's the realm in which they function. They can't perceive everyone's thoughts at one time, but they can choose to, as they interact with each other and then with people, I can assume that they can now perceive that person's thoughts. It's like a categorical mistake. I'm now thinking that somehow a demon is going to perceive things through a physical reality. In other words, they have to see photons bouncing off of, you know, a person's body, or they have to have sound waves vibrating to perceive anything. And that's just not how it works. They're not physical beings. They don't perceive things through physical means. They perceive things spiritually. And we are spirit and we think, if you will, we reason, we imagine in our non-physical realm. We're spirit beings indwelling physical containers. 
So if a demon puts their focus on me and my thoughts, they're hearing them at that time? Well, hearing is, uh, you know, a misnomer. That's probably not the right word, but if, perceiving. Of course, they can perceive if they are choosing to perceive spiritual realities in a person's spirit. And that's going to be what they are concentrating on, what they're thinking about, what they're imagining, what they're deciding in their minds. Now, they don't have to learn a language if they're perceiving the thoughts of a person in Japan or you know, someone in Africa or someone in America. I mean, they don't have to sit there and study languages. They're not that kind of being. They're spirit beings. Now, there are situations in the Bible where these spirit beings take on physical form and interact with human beings. Very rare, but it happens in the Bible. And, you know, those are special cases. But if you're talking about the spirits that exist in this room right now, in this studio where we're recording this, well, yeah, they're here perceiving what's going on and what I intend to communicate. They see that or perceive that or hear that. I mean, see and hear are probably not the right words for that, but they perceive those things. So yes, that I think is my assumption, because if we don't say that, then we're saying, well, what do they perceive? Now you're trying to, which I think is a categorical mistake, you're trying to say they are perceiving something in a physical realm. They're listening, quote unquote, to my words, the vibrations of sound in my language, and then they're somehow understanding my sentences, or they're looking at me as though they have eyeballs and they're seeing the photons of light bounce off the skin of my face, and and, and they're saying, well, okay, I see what he's doing and I'm hearing what he's saying. And I often jokingly say, well, if, if Satan has to have me say something to hear it, I, how quietly can I say it to where they then don't hear it? You know, it, it's almost absurd. You have, well, do they lean forward? I mean, how does that work? They're spirit beings that perceive spiritual realities. And ultimately, I'm a spirit being contemplating things in a spiritual way in my thinking, my contemplation, my rumination. And that's how they perceive. I mean, and to me, this is not, I can't point to a chapter and verse to show you this, it's just that I understand what they are in the Bible, how they're described in Hebrews chapter one and how they're described throughout the Bible is spirit beings. So, and I know some people say, well, I don't believe you because you can't quote a chapter and verse, but you're making a categorical mistake, I think, to say they have to have physical stimuli to have a perception of what I'm thinking in my spirit or in my mind. Do they have any influence over our thoughts or are they restrained in some way? Well, I've got to say they have influence, and by that I mean they tempt, and they tempt, you know, not just visually or audibly, but they tempt in my thinking. Even that parable of the four soils, that first soil speaks of the gospel going out like a seed, it falls on the road, and the bird comes along and eats it. And then that's the picture of Satan coming along in that person's mind and just taking that message out of a person's mind. There's interaction within people's minds. That's the spiritual battle. It's in my mind. I don't think we need to fear that, you know, my thoughts are, are not my own. Sure, your thoughts are your own, but the battle of temptation and the battle of even distraction can certainly be one that I think is often happening in a spiritual realm where my mind has to be shored up. It has to be prepared sober ready for action. How can we as Christians sort of defend against this or guard against these types of things? I need to let the word of Christ richly dwell in me. I need to have my mind, as it says in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping according to your word? You know, my, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I need the word of God in me. I need to constantly think about, ruminate, cogitate. I mean, the biblical word is meditate on the word, uh, Psalm 1. And, and that's the key. I have to be thinking biblical thoughts. 
thoughts. I need to be thinking thoughts after God. I need to be thinking things that are righteous. Philippians 4, I, I need to let my mind think of these things. If it's good, if it's excellent, if it's lovely, if it's of good repute. I mean, that whole list, the idea of my mind choosing to focus, volitionally focus my thinking on things that are right and good and righteous and godly and biblical. And, and I mean, that's what God says. He'll then guard my heart and my mind. In Christ Jesus, the peace of God will do that. So the best defense in, in terms of this mental battle is a good offense. Well, thank you, Pastor Mike. I'm sure this conversation has been very informative for our listeners, and we're going to continue on this topic with a message you gave from the study series, Angels and Demons, called The Reality and Nature of Demons. Misconceptions regarding demons. Misconception number one, which I don't know if it's that common anymore, but I guess there's still some in our society that think this way, and that is that... that, uh, Demons are just some kind of impersonal force. There's a bit of an oxymoron in that sentence. They are an impersonal force. Demons, whatever they are, quote unquote, they're just some kind of force. I quote now this section of Jesus' encounter with the demon in the guy who wants to go into the pigs. Remember that? Why? Because don't send us to our torment now. What is that all about? Well, clearly it's not the talk of some force of evil, right? This is, these are personal beings, intellect, emotion, and will. Every time we see an encounter with a demon in the Bible, clearly they are just like angels and just like you and I in that they have this definition of personhood. They think, they reason, they, they, they feel, they respond, they have fear in that case. Don't send us to our torment now. Let us go somewhere else. Uh, And they make decisions. They said, how about the pigs? That is just one example of just about any encounter you find with demons in the Bible where they are not an impersonal force. This, though, is popular in our culture. The dead people, that's what they are. They're people that have died. I think if you press the average non-Christian or non-church-going person, this is probably what they think they are. A lot of people do believe in demons that aren't Christians, and they believe in evil spirits, whatever you want to call them. But what they think they are is departed people. All I can say in response to that is, obviously there's no indication at all in the Bible, but I would go to places like Luke 16, 19 through 26, which is the story of the rich man and Lazarus, to say to someone who tries to think that, if you have any authority given to the Bible, you can never come to that conclusion because people who die, they go to one of two places. Both of them are places of confinement. And they go there not to roam the earth or to have any of this stuff that's described by demons as a job or as a purpose, and that is, you know, the spiritual uh, entities, the forces of darkness in this world. That's not happening with dead people. Dead people go to a confined place and they are treated separately, and the Bible makes it clear even in Matthew uh, 25 about going ultimately one day to the same place as the Demons, Satan and his angels, which is the devil and his angels, which shows us at some point their destiny merges, but they are certainly described as separate, distinct groups of persons. The nature of demons. Let us hurry along. The nature of demons. Don't need to turn to these. You know these passages. I'll read them for you, though. They're obviously spirit beings. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And if you're going, hmm, I'm so bored, I know they're spirit beings. You need to think through the implications of the fact that they're not spirit beings. They are not subject to physical restraints. Here's one of the problems 
when you talk about me in your car on the way home. I can't hear you because you're moving the airwaves with your throat and your tongue and your lungs and it only goes so far and it's in the container of your car and I'm, as you drive away, a hundred yards and then a mile and then three miles away and I can't hear what you're saying about me because I am physically constrained. I need to have that decoding take place in my mind about what you're talking about. I need you to rattle some sound waves with some kind of distinguishing features so that the three little bones in my inner ear can vibrate and send electrical pulses to my brain and I can decode what you're saying and my spirit can understand what your spirit is trying to communicate. Demons don't have that concern. They are spirit beings. Just like you are a spirit... And as you lay in bed tonight without saying a word, you will muse and think and cogitate and imagine things in your spirit. That's the realm of your, of your thought life. Now, the Pentecostals have just made an absolute, you know, uh, doctrine on the fact that, that, that demons function in a physical reality when in fact they don't. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I get this question all the time when, when we talk about demons. Can they know our thoughts, right? And I'm thinking, if they don't know our thoughts, right, on what reality, what plane of reality do they function? Well, Pentecostals will say, that's why we pray in tongues, right? So that we can pray in a way that the demons can't hear. That's my prayer language. And, and for them, that just means ecstatic utterances just going, and all of that, God decodes on the other side. You know, you really got to do that so that they can't understand you? Well, what if I just speak in English, assuming that all the demons know English, and I just speak really quietly? I'll just speak so quietly, they can't hear me very well. As I speak like this, they won't know what I'm saying. Do you see how this, this will break down in our thinking eventually. If you understand we're dealing with spirit beings, you will not fall to some comic, simplistic view of demons thinking that somehow they function in a physical realm and they need you to vibrate sound waves so that they can understand what you're thinking. People say, where's the chapter and verse? I, I, all I, it's, here's one. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I need flesh and blood to be able to understand what you say. I don't know your thoughts because I'm physically bound. I'm constrained by physical parameters. Demons or not. Do they know what's going on in your head? My answer to that in short is yes. Absolutely. They are sin-promoting. Oh, see now, you put those two together? Think about this now. Now it's starting to make sense. Think of the temptations that come to your mind, right? You, you could try to trick demons out with your body language or your words, but it ain't going to work. They know because they are spirit beings. They're not omniscient. They can't understand everything at once all the time, but as they focus their attention, right, which is what they must do, as we learned in Daniel chapter 9, they have to be focused in somewhere to perceive. Their perception has to be focused. But here's the thing. We've got to realize that their agenda as sin-promoting beings, which is the whole point, they're fighting us. They're forces of evil. Those evil forces are working in the level of our minds and our thinking. Three words that may help. Unclean spirits. They're called evil spirits. They want to do things in your thinking, in your mind, in your life that are unclean and evil. Satan's agenda for our, your, your life. All of those. The, the demons are the ones that are carrying his agenda out. How, or I should say what they want to accomplish. How they accomplish it is on a spiritual level. 
in part. They're intelligent. No time for these passages, but I'll, I'll, uh, you know them, I hope. It tells us in 1 John 4, 1 through 4, that we've got to test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit. There are things that are happening in our culture, in our life, in our church, and in our home. We cannot just take at face value. There's a sense in which we have to be discerning because demonic beings are intelligent. They're shrewd. They're strategic. They take the truth and they twist it. That's what 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3 is all about. Deceitful spirits. They want to deceive. They're good at tricking. We could go to all the passages about masquerading as angels of light and all of that. But the point is, they're intelligent. They're also very powerful. They're powerful. A couple things here. Uh, Mark 5, 3. You don't need to turn there. But you remember the story of the one that lived amongst the tombs, the, the Gadarenes. It said no one could bind him anymore. As demons cause passivity in human beings, their physical interaction with the world ends up being an amazing amount of strength, at least in people, in inflicting damage in Revelation chapter 9. And we don't have time for all that. There's 11 verses there, which is just part of what they're doing in the book of Revelation. And these spirits are going out doing amazing things to the world. And they're inflicting amazing, incredible damage and torment, it says. And lastly, on this point, they're breaking natural laws in, in, in Rev 16. They go out to break natural law. And, and that's hard. I can't break natural law. I can't break chains. I can't inflict damage on the earth the way they can. Just a reminder that they're very powerful. Now, while they're spirit beings, and in essence, that's what they are, the Bible tells us that they are capable of tangible manifestations. Everything, by the way, that they're capable of is all under the, the control, ultimately, of God's allowance. Remember Job 1 and 2, right? There's nothing that they do, at least by way of example in that text, that's not without some kind of parameter. So while they can manifest themselves, we believe, by things like this, we can just compare it to Abraham's visitors, right? We can compare it to Satan in the garden. Those are just two comparisons, if angels, good angels, can appear and have lunch with Abraham, and if Satan can appear and, and have a manifestation in the garden as an animal, which is in a bizarre context, but have a discussion with the first parents of the universe, then these kinds of statements start to look more real in Revelation chapter 16. And, and we should look at this just in closing. Let's go, to, let's go to this text. Revelation chapter 16. 13 and 14. Maybe we'll flip over to chapter 9 if we can squeeze it in. Rev 16. Context. Verse 12. Sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. The water was dried up, prepared the way for the kings of the east. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Okay, that's been defined in Revelation. We know who that is. And out of the mouth of the beast, we know that's the human manifestation on earth. Less of a manifestation and more of the person that he empowers. And out of the mouth of the the false prophet, that's the religious leader in this context, what comes out? Three unclean spirits like frogs. That's weird. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to kings of the whole world. Now, up until that point, I'm thinking frogs, that's just symbolic. It's all apocalyptic. It's just trying to put in that it's just weird and it's not right. But then he says, performing signs, they go abroad to the kings of the world and assemble them for battle on the great day of of God the Almighty. That seems to be, in this context, a, 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 a manifestation, though they're depicted as frogs, they're people here going and doing what it says exactly, assembling 
them for battle. They go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle. Rev 9-7. Rev 9-7. This is the one about the locusts. And again, it's just a series of descriptions of them in this context, perhaps embellished views of who they are, but they're going out and having interaction with human beings on earth like horses prepared for battle. I know it says like, and that's true, they are. Heads that look like crowns of gold, faces that were human, hair that's like a woman's hair, teeth like a lion, breastplates like iron, the noise of their wings like the noise of many chariots and running horses into battle. They have tails that sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tail. Whatever that looks like, we understand, by the way, verse 11, they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. We know we're talking about demons in this context. But the point is, there's some interface with mankind that actually causes real damage. Is it invisible? Is it manifestation of of some kind of physical reality? I think Rev 16 makes that probably more than uh, the preponderance of certainty in that direction. And here, perhaps the same. Are they showing up at your next, you know, office meeting? I, I doubt it. But it seems like, just like angels and Satan, the head demon, they have the opportunities to do that under the allowance of God. Let's pray. God, please continue to give us discernment as we look at what we can affirm with certainty and what we have to speculate about. Some things are hard to understand in your word, as the Bible says, even about itself. And as we look at passages like Genesis 6, 1 through 4, it's hard for us to uh, find a place to file that. But even as good students of the word, we at least want to think it through as thoroughly as we can. Knowing that... um, It seems that it is possible that angelic beings, not only possible, that it has happened that angelic beings and Satan himself have uh, embodied themselves in human flesh at some point in the past. But God, there's so much here for us to think through, but ultimately to know what their intentions are for our lives. It all starts with their interface with our thinking and our hearts. So God, give us protection and give us a great sense of discernment. Let us test the spirits to know what's right, what's true. Let us be people that are careful about the doctrines of demons, as the Bible calls it, as they try to take the truth and sprinkle enough truth in there with error so that we can start believing and thinking wrongly, drawing wrong conclusions about how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to believe, or what we're supposed to do. So make us more discerning now than ever before, knowing the time is short. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5, the days are evil. So make us make the most of every opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. The Reality and Nature of Demons. That's the title of today's study on this special edition of Ask Pastor Mike, right here on Focal Point. Well, we hope these weekly conversations with Pastor Mike are strengthening and equipping you in the walk of faith, preparing you for important conversations as you step out into the public square. And to help you continue growing, each month we pick out books that we highly recommend. And right now we have a book called Living Without Worry. Dr. Tim Lane has written a warm and pastoral book to help us see the line where godly concern turns into sinful worry and how scripture can be used to cast our cares upon the Lord. How can we replace anxiety with peace? Is it possible to be free from worry so we can live life to the fullest? We'll find the answers when you request your copy of Living Without Worry. And we'll send it as our way of saying thanks when you donate to support the Bible teaching on this program. Now, these daily messages come to you every day on the radio, the Focal Point website, the mobile app, or on your favorite podcasting app. But all these distribution methods come with some hefty costs to the ministry. 
And that's where you step in to fill the gap. So donate today, won't you? And remember to ask for your copy of Living Without Worry when you call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or if it's easier, you can give and request the book online at focalpointradio.org. And when you give an especially generous gift of $75 or more, we'll send you an additional resource called Tested by Fire, Fueled by Faith by Vicki Zaratti. Vicki's story is an inspirational and miraculous adventure about living through a devastating illness, horrifying pain, and quadruple amputations. Request Tested by Fire, Fueled by Faith, along with the book Living Without Worry, when you contact Focal Point with your gift of $75 or more. Visit focalpointradio.org or call 888-320-5885. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, so glad to have you with us. And be sure to tune in again next time as we continue exploring the depths of Scripture right here on Focal Point. program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.